Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. Check that Friday evening. Where am I head at? Friday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is the final Hacker After Dark of 2022, and we are glad you are with us here on 1010XL and 92. Point five FM with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. So glad you have decided to spend part of your Friday evening with us. The Orange Bowl going on right now. Tennessee, a 7 nothing lead over Clemson. Of course, that's because it just means more in the SEC. There is absolutely no question about that. What a Gator Bowl we had earlier today. Notre Dame. 45-38 over South Carolina. I saw a tweet earlier. Notre Dame has to be the only team in college football history that allowed two pick sixes for touchdowns and a fake field goal for a touchdown and still won the game. It is absolutely amazing that that did happen, but if you're a fan of the Fighting Irish, congratulations. If you're a fan of the South Carolina Gamecocks, well, there are a lot of watering holes here in Duval County that'll be more than happy to uh, serve you this evening as you uh, get ready to make the trip home tomorrow with that loss. But a great year for South Carolina, of course, beating Tennessee and Clemson to end their regular season. All right, we got a ton to do. Uh, the Jaguars go to Houston on Sunday. We will certainly talk about that. The Tennessee Titans last night lose their sixth game in a row. Josh Dobbs is their starting quarterback. It appears for the AFC South championship game. We'll get into that. We also got a college football playoff to discuss some high school balls, some NFL. We're all over the place tonight here until 11 o'clock. As we do every night here on Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night. And Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. The atmosphere in Jacksonville, Florida, one week from tonight, is going to be absolutely electric. Going into next weekend with the AFC South Championship on the line, and of all teams, of course, it is the Tennessee Titans that are coming to town. What a week of buildup it's going to be with the winner of the Titans and the Jaguars going to the playoffs and not only going to the playoffs, but hosting a first-round game as a division winner. And the loser next week, more than likely, their season coming to an end. But, but before we get there, there is a game on Sunday in Houston. The Jaguars and the Texans, Sunday 1 o'clock. You'll hear it right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. How to approach Sunday in Houston. I told you what I would do. You look at the injury report coming out today. The Jaguars have, I believe, six guys as questionable. 
Trevor Lawrence, Brandon Sheriff, Andrew Wingard, Ross Matissic, Trayvon Walker, Foley Fadakasi. I would not play Walker. I would not play Fadakasi. I know Doug Peterson earlier today said those two are on track to play. I would not. They've been on the injury report the last couple of weeks. You're going to need all hands on deck next week to stop Derrick Henry. I would give Walker and Fadakasi another week off to ensure that they are 100% ready to go against Tennessee. I really would like to sit Brandon Sheriff, who has an abdomen and an ankle issue. Uh, He's listed as questionable. But if you're going to play Trevor Lawrence, and by all indications, the Jaguars are going to play Trevor Lawrence on Sunday, you got to have your best offensive lineman out there. But how does Doug Peterson handle the game in the middle of the contest? The guys are going to play. Well, what happens if the Jaguars come right out against Houston, you know, maybe put a touchdown or two on the board in the first half, lead the game by 14 at halftime, or just humming right along? At that point, do you put backups in? Or do you play this thing out in its entirety? When you start them, you're going to play them all four quarters. Whatever happens in Houston does not affect the division whatsoever. The division will come down to week 18 with the Jaguars and the Titans. Nothing that happens in Houston on Sunday. A 50-point win, a 50-point loss, anywhere in the middle, nothing affects the AFC South race until Tennessee and Jacksonville on January the 8th. So, with that knowledge, I understand that you don't want to kill the momentum. You don't want to sit all your guys for the entire game. But I do wonder if the in-game strategy is a little different this week. If you get a lead in the first half or if things are looking pretty good, do you start resting some guys, that sort of thing? That'll be interesting to watch. There are potential wild card implications, but it's going to be very, very far-fetched for Jacksonville to get a wild card spot. Miami would have to lose twice. I think the Jets would have to lose to Seattle. Because keep in mind, the only way Jacksonville would need a wild card spot or would even get a wild card spot is if they lost to Tennessee and finished eight and nine. So if you take into account the Jaguars have to be eight and nine to even be in the wild card conversation. It would take two Dolphins losses. I think the Jets would have to lose to Seattle. There's a couple other scenarios where the Patriots would have to lose a game. It's a lot. Bottom line, don't worry about the wild card. It's probably not going to happen anyway. All you have to do is beat the Tennessee Titans, and you are champions of the AFC South, and you are at home. Wild card weekend for only the second home playoff game in the last 23 years. Jaguars and Houston trying to break a nine-game losing streak to the Houston Texans. Nine games. Opening day 2017. Remember that? That was the debut of Calais Campbell as a Jaguar. I believe he had three sacks in that contest. That's the last time the Jaguars have defeated the Houston Texans. That is a long, long time ago. Although, what is this year, this winning streak been about? 
The Jaguars hadn't beat an NFC team in forever. Well, that's now over. They beat Dallas. The Jaguars had not won a prime time game on the road since the year 2000. Well, that's over. They beat the Jets last week in New York. The Jaguars had not won a road game coming into this year since December of 2019. Well, that ended with wins over the Chargers, over the Titans, and over the Jets. They have become road warriors with three wins on the road this year. 2022 has been about ending awful streaks. And there's one more to take care of. The nine-game losing streak to the Houston Texans. And you have a chance to end that on Sunday. Listening to Trevor Lawrence this week, he's grateful for the opportunity. He'll tell you. His two worst games this year were Houston here and Denver and London. Now, you can't do anything about Denver and London because, obviously, you don't get a second chance at Denver. But you get a second chance at Houston. Trevor Lawrence in that game against Houston, I believe 26 of 47, 286 yards, no touchdowns, a couple of picks, including that one in the end zone to Derek Stingley. In that game in week five, Zay Jones and Christian Kirk combined four catches, 23 yards. I will go out on a limb and I will tell you, I will take the over on that on Sunday. I'm willing to bet Christian Kirk and Zay Jones will have a lot more than four grabs for 23 yards. We're doing a ton on the Jaguars and the Texans tonight. Former Jaguar and former Texan Seth Payne, Sports Radio 610 in Houston. He will stop by this evening. Also, longtime NFL writer, Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. You hear him now on Sirius XM NFL Radio, Vic Carucci. He is also coming up later on in the program. Also tonight, a little NBA talk. Brian Toporek, Forbes Sports and Bleacher Report. Do you realize now that college football is starting to wind down, the NFL, hopefully the Jaguars have at least another month left, but 18 teams, their season will officially end coming up in the next uh, week and a half. The Jaguars coming to an end, hopefully in the playoffs. But anyway, most NBA teams are halfway home with their regular seasons. So we'll have Brian Toporek, Forbes Sports and Bleach Report, joining us later on tonight as well. Denmark, do we have a little uh, little breaking news this evening? This just on Hacker After Dark. All right, the year's not over yet. Florida Gators just added somebody in the transfer portal. Cameron Jackson, Memphis D-Tackle. Boy, that's a big one. That's uh, the biggest portal guy the Gators have gotten this year. Now, he just entered the portal a couple of days ago. Yesterday. Yesterday. And Cameron Jackson, again, for people that follow the transfer portal, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to tell you that I know a lot about Cameron Jackson out of Memphis, but I do know this, that he was considered among the top five interior defensive linemen in the transfer portal. That is a big get for Billy Napier. Maybe that will get the ball turning with the Gators when it comes to a little momentum. We'll talk about Florida's offseason with David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast coming up later on tonight. But a new member of the Florida Transfer Portal class, defensive tackle Cameron Jackson, 
Denmark, we've got let's pull up some numbers on Jackson. Let me see if I can get him. I real I know when he entered the portal yesterday, there were a lot of people that were connecting the dots because Florida had such a need in the interior part of their defensive line. Cameron Jackson on the Memphis website. Uh let me pull it up here. Part of their 2022 football roster. Six foot six, three hundred and forty pounds. My gosh. He was a third team all American conference uh player. Uh so look, he appeared in twelve games in twenty twenty one as a freshman, had a couple of sacks. His play continued solid this year to be a third team all conference defensive tackle. This uh this article I pulled up from SI says statistically this was this was his best year, forty one tackles in the sack, but most of his performance was not on the stat sheet, mostly getting a lot of double teams. All right. So. Six foot six, three hundred and forty pound offensive tackle. Cameron Jackson from Memphis is now a part of Billy Napier's transfer portal class at the University of Florida. We're off and running. We got a ton to do Jacksonville. We're with you till eleven o'clock. We are glad you are with us with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Coming up next, Jaguars, Texans. Let's talk to a man that has worn both uniforms. My friend Seth Payne, Sports Radio 610 in Houston. We'll get the Texans perspective and because Seth is a former Jaguar, let's talk about his thoughts on the run the Jaguars have been on over the last eight weeks. It is a Friday night. On Hacker After Dark, Jacksonville, and we're glad you're with us here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. The Gators. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. The Jaguars and the Texans, Sunday at 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear it right here on 1010XL. Let's go to a man that we always get on when it's Houston week, when the Jaguars and the Texans get together. Seth Payne, a former Jacksonville Jaguar, a former Houston Texan. He does sports radio out in Houston, and he's got a YouTube channel that we will tell you about now as well. Seth, always appreciate the time, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing as well as I can covering this this horrid football team. Uh, <laughs> so it's been, it's, it's honestly, it's been fun watching the Jaguars. You look at the Texans from afar, and they're battling, man. There is no question about that. Obviously, going in to Nashville and winning last week against Tennessee, I guess the one thing you can say about Houston is they certainly have not mailed it in. No, they haven't. You know, and the, the composition of the team is such that the, look, this was – this is a reset of sorts. You might not call it a tank necessarily, but they brought in a lot of veteran free agents who are on one and two year deals and guys that, you know, were brought specifically in to, to be good examples of how to go about your business the right way as the Texans start to cash in some of these draft picks that they finally have. And I think that's, that's why they tend to just gut it out and play hard through the end of the season, despite it being a lost season in a lot of ways. There are young guys that are trying to prove themselves. There are older guys on one-year deals that they were also, you know, selected to be blue-collar guys. So they are they're putting in a heroic effort, and yet at the same time, if you're somebody who's fallen in love with Bryce Young, uh, 
they've managed to they've managed to I guess squander the lead on the number one overall pick uh, to where they're now only a half game ahead of Chicago for the number one overall pick. Well, that's what's crazy about Houston, right? I mean, they've lost twelve times, but you come into Jacksonville, you win earlier this year, you tie Indianapolis on opening day, and you go into Nashville last week and you beat the Titans. So from an AFC South point of view with Jacksonville this week and and Indy next week, I mean, Houston could legitimately win three or four games in the division and lose every other game outside the division. That's That's got to be an anomaly. That probably has never happened before in NFL history. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Lovey Smith was talking in the press conference the other day about how you know, they, they could win the division. They could have the division title by going four and two in the division. And and I just thought, man, that's that's a bad look for the AFC South. Don't be saying that because <laughs> it's um, it's whatever weird, whatever weird hold the Texans have over the Jaguars over these past several years, I suppose um, has something to do with it. But, uh, you know, as you know, the, the Jaguars were a much different team at the beginning of the year than they are right now. And whatever the whatever the Texans were hoping to see out of Davis Mills, they have not. Whereas obviously with Trevor Lawrence, he's he's very much starting to look like the the guy that people thought he was going to be before Urban Meyer happened to him. Former Jaguar and former Texan Seth Payne here with us, Sports Radio out in Houston and his YouTube channel. Seth, quickly, man, tell us about the YouTube channel you got going. Oh, okay. So you know, I forever whenever I would try to take other jobs or thought about taking other jobs outside of my radio job. I always felt like I never wanted to to detract from my main employer. So finally, somebody kept telling me to do YouTube, do YouTube. And I realized, okay, well, I'm kind of doing show prep anyway. And just instead of, instead of just doing show prep in the dark, I'm just putting the film that I watch uh, on YouTube and and talking my way through it. And uh, it's been pretty cool. I started, it's, it's kept me, actually maybe a more up-to-date on other teams around the league because I've started branching out and, uh, and and doing various teams. I did discover that uh, when you say anything remotely bad about any Dallas Cowboy, you get so many clicks. So <laughs> I, I might start a whole separate YouTube channel just to throw subtle shade at Cowboys. God forbid you pay a Cowboy a compliment, but don't do it effusively enough. You'll be attacked by 10,000 angry Cowboys fans. No question about that. And of course, the Jaguars just beat the Cowboys a couple of weeks ago in the midst of what's been an incredible streak here in Jacksonville. Seth, it's an interesting dynamic on Sunday. Like you mentioned, the Jaguars have not beat Houston in five years, which is crazy to think about. But opening day 2017 is the last time Jacksonville won a game against Houston. The Jaguars come in with this game on Sunday. I'm not going to call it meaningless because no regular season game is meaningless, but certainly all eyes are pointing towards the AFC South championship game in week 18 against Tennessee. I mean, what is the thought in Houston? Do they feel like maybe they're getting the Jaguars at a good time on Sunday? Um, I think some people might be thinking that. I like When I look at the Jaguars and I put myself in the position of Doug Peterson or any of the players – you know, they're a different team now than they were at the beginning of the season. And this is not this is not a Jaguars team that has been there and done that and can understand, okay, hey, we're gonna take we're gonna rest a bunch of guys but still go out there and play hard. I think this is a team that very much just needs to keep riding the wave. Uh, the Jaguars do. And I I think the Texans will get their best effort. Now Trent Belke might make some 
some conservative decisions about who plays and who doesn't. But I think you're going to – I think the, the Texans are going to see a Jaguars team that's, that's very motivated to just keep that taste of winning in their mouth. So I think that'll be, that'll be a very good challenge. I think as far as the Texans as a legitimate football team, they, they got physically handled versus the Cowboys and the Chiefs in a lot of ways. The one thing that the Texans were able to do was come up and make some big hits. They, they've been playing really, really nasty, and they've been able to force the ball out because of that. A lot of the turnovers in the last few weeks haven't just been interceptions. They've been hard-hitting tackles that lead to fumbles, and that's more of what we expected to see out of Lovey Smith's defense this year. So that's a huge wild card always, you know, is can, can you win the turnover battle? And the Texans just right now – uh, are more adept at that. And they also, they've also managed to start generating a pretty good pass rush. One guy to watch out for is uh, Okoronkwo, a kid originally out of the Rams, who has really come into his own this year after, after spending the first part of his career as a stand-up outside linebacker. He's just playing 4-3 defensive end now, and he's really taken to it. And he's really he's a different guy now than he was earlier in the year. So it's a, it's a much more formidable pass rush than it was back in September. Seth, I want to talk to you about the Jaguars. Again, Seth Payne here with us, former Jaguar and former Texan. Final couple of thoughts on Houston's side of this. Uh, you mentioned Bryce Young and the number one pick in the draft, and that now is in serious question, particularly if Indianapolis is going to keep playing Nick Foles because I don't know if they can uh. beat anybody uh, with the way Nick Foles looked on Monday night. If they lose out on the number one pick, I mean, is there any chance whatsoever that Davis Mills or Jeff Driscoll – would go into next year as as the starter, or are they going to draft a quarterback, whether it's at number one or, or somewhere in the top five? Uh, Jeff Driscoll, there's no chance. And I, I feel bad for Jeff Driscoll. He's the classic guy that was put into a situation that was a, a no-win situation. But, you know, they, they thought of him as the athletic rhythm buster that can come in and run some zone read. And, and you realize after a couple experiments with that that, okay – He's athletic, but he's not NFL athletic. He's not able to beat guys to the sideline. So, I mean, he might be around just because he's a good guy and he can run the scout team well. I think if Davis Mills is the starter, it's going to be as they wait for a first-round quarterback to take over. Uh, unless, you know, unless Nick Casario, the GM, really doesn't like C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or any of these other guys, I think the – I think they're going to take a quarterback and um, and they're going to change offensive coordinator. Seth Hamilton just uh, just hasn't shown anything at all. And he doesn't have great tools to work with, but the offense consistently goes out there and has, you know, false start penalties that screw him, just all kinds of sloppiness, no real coherence to the play calling. And, and the offense has gotten worse than last year, which was hard to do, but they figured out a way to do it. So, if it's not Lovey Smith, it'll definitely, in my mind, be a new offensive coordinator. With Cleveland struggles, right? Don't doesn't Houston own a couple of their picks this year? I mean, this thing oh, yeah. could turn around pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know how it is in the NFL. I mean, every year there's a team like the Lions or well, I mean the Jag It's hard the Jaguars. It's hard to say because you have Trevor Lawrence. So. Um, but certainly go from last year to where you're in the playoffs this year, I think it could turn around really quickly. And that's where the, the pressure starts to be on the GM Casario right now because uh, you got to do something. The first-round picks this year were kind of disappointing. Kenyon Green, the offensive guard, struggled, was injured a lot. 
Derek Stingley didn't play poorly, but and this is where the Lovey Smith part is interesting. He just you draft a you draft a guy number three overall, and then you sit him back in soft zone coverage, and then you watch Sauce Gardner up in the with the Jets, who's taken one pick after Derek Stingley, uh, be on his way to winning the defensive rookie of the year. So there's gonna be some pressure on Nick Casario to start nailing some of these first round picks. And obviously, you know, a lot of first round picks start off slow and then and then gain steam, but so far it hasn't been a real impressive showing. Final moments here with Seth Payne. Of course, uh, we remember Derek Stingley here in Jacksonville as one of the ridiculous interceptions Trevor Lawrence threw in the first two months of the year. That has not oh, yeah. happened in the last six weeks. Seth, you're still thought around back back here in Jacksonville as a former Jaguar. You were obviously on the 99 team, the best team in Jaguar history. Of course, it did not end well that year against the Titans. And all eyes are pointing towards that game next week, which will be for an AFC South championship here in Jacksonville your thoughts from afar on your former team here in Jacksonville and what they've done over the last six weeks that um it's it's really cool to see any team that struggled uh figure it out midway through the season and and start to click like that and I think you, you never really appreciated I was a classic guy that came into a team a situation that was already really good and you don't quite understand or realize how much fun it is to be on a good team until all of a sudden you go to another expansion team where it doesn't go that well and, and you're miserable. So um, I think the the city of Jacksonville is a very unique place when it comes to pro football and one that people really don't understand. Like I, I spend a lot of time angrily defending um, the Jacksonville Jaguars when it comes to the size of the city and you know, how much, uh, like, w- what it was like when in that 99 season, you know, one one day I started, I'm driving to work, and I realized they they painted paw prints on the road there on the, leading up to the stadium, um, and that it really, it becomes a, it becomes a special environment that's um, really unlike a lot of places in the NFL when, when the team is doing well. There's no doubt about that, and you can imagine the excitement here. Uh, look, you played against a lot of really good quarterbacks during your great career, and Trevor Lawrence, uh, he's turning into a top 10 quarterback in front of our eyes. I mean, the guy's thrown 14 touchdowns and only one pick in the last six weeks. Uh, You could argue he's been a top five quarterback statistically since Halloween. I mean, what's your thoughts on Trevor moving forward? I think that, you know, with, with Trevor Lawrence, there are parts of his game that weren't going to be immediately evident. And, and that happens when you have somebody that's trying to do things the right way. It happens at every position, but I think especially now in the NFL, um, when there are so many incidents, uh, instances of guys who come in and just destroy teams with their legs immediately, that people get impatient expect, and expect everything to happen very, very quickly. I think with Trevor Lawrence, he's, he's really started to display that anticipation and his ability to – almost with a sixth sense, understand what the defense is doing. You know, can he, he feels what the defense is doing more so than sees what the defense is doing. And that takes a while for that to really show up, especially when you go through whatever the heck last year was with Urban Meyer. Um, and I, I think the most impressive part of that whole scenario is that as a young quarterback, to navigate those waters where there's severe dysfunction and to come out of it without really, at least from, from what I can tell, from outside looking in, it didn't look like Trevor Lawrence 
suffered at all in terms of his reputation or how he handled all of that. And that's, that's a really hard thing to do as a young quarterback. Seth, final question. You were a smart player. Heck, you had to be based on where you went to college. I mean, come on. So my question to you is, if you're a Jaguar player coming into this game, um, you got to know that it doesn't necessarily matter a win or a loss because of Tennessee and a win-or-go-home scenario the next week. Does that change your thought process as a player, or do you try to block that out as much as possible? I think it's it's impossible for it not to try to creep in, and I think that's where vigilance matters some. Because what happens at the end of the year is that oh, you want me to, <laughs> everything um, – what happens at the end of the year is like you're you're just fatigued. Your body is tired, and and that's when your mind can become very very convincing when it comes to uh, giving you excuses for why to take it easy. And and coaching matters a lot in those instances. Doug Peterson's been through this before, obviously, with teams in the postseason. And and I think that's where coaching really matters. Um, you know, Coughlin used to just drive this into our heads about the danger of complacency, the danger of not staying vigilant, all of that. And it's one thing to address it academically, but then it's another to really give guys the tools to motivate, uh, to, to, to help them fight through that. And I think just by nature of where the Jaguars are right now, because they, they had to face this uphill battle, I think it's going to be pretty easy to motivate these guys. Um, I, I don't, and I do think I do think this is a situation where, hey, they might not have a strict reason to beat the Titans because it doesn't improve their playoff chances at all. But there is, I think, a matter psychologically of whether you want to call it momentum or anything else of just kind of keeping this vibe going and and keeping that 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 those good endorphins of winning, getting that taste of winning in your mouth. Former Jaguar and former Texan, Seth Payne, Sports Radio 610 in Houston, and check out Seth Payne's YouTube channel as well. Seth, always appreciate the time, man. Thank you. Have a very happy new year. And if the Jaguars make a deep playoff run, maybe we'll dial your phone back up and uh, maybe work up some 1999 vibes. Uh, hopefully <laughs> some good vibes coming the Jaguars' way. Appreciate you, Seth. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, man. There you go, Seth Payne, Sports Radio 610 in Houston. The Orange Bowl going on right now. Tennessee, a 14-3 lead over Clemson. We will keep you updated. Of course, the college football playoff is tomorrow. Michigan, TCU, the first game up at 4 o'clock. That, of course, is followed by, boy, a big one. Georgia, Ohio State, 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Of course, the Sugar Bowl tomorrow, high noon. High noon for the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, 11 a.m. on the Bayou. That's interesting. With Alabama and Kansas State. So a lot of college football to come. But, of course, the college football playoff taking center stage tomorrow. Speaking of that, the Florida Gators. Well, their season's been over for a couple of weeks. People aren't happy about the quarterback position. But the Gators did get some good news tonight. Big-time transfer portal defensive tackle Cameron Jackson of Memphis, six foot six, 340 pounds, has committed to Florida. Hopefully, that'll change the fortunes of the Gators there in the transfer portal. Let's talk Florida. Let's talk the portal. Let's talk 2022 year in review and look ahead to what the roster may look like in 2023. David Waters, the Gators Breakdown podcast, He's next. Hacker After Dark on a Friday evening 
here in Jacksonville. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. There's never a dull moment with the University of Florida, although they have not been as active in the transfer portal as one might have thought a couple of weeks ago. With that, let's bring in my friend David Waters. You hear him on the Gators Breakdown podcast, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. David, I hope you had a happy holidays, my friend. I did, I did, up in uh, South Carolina right now, uh, trying to you know, finish the holidays up. But I had a good one, Hacker. Hope you and your family did too. David, we did. Thank you for the time, and thank you for visiting with us up there while you're having a little downtime. Okay, the University of Florida, Gator fans, quite frankly, are not happy. Graham Mertz is the guy they've gotten out of the portal, the transfer from Wisconsin. Uh, you combine that with the fact that Devin Leary of NC State went to Kentucky, Rumors out now that Sam Hartman of Wake Forest is going to enter the portal, but is more than likely going to end up at Notre Dame. David, should Gator fans be unhappy about what's transpired here? Uh, I, I certainly think, you know, we knew there would be some bigger targets uh, for the quarterback position for Florida and, uh, and, and for everybody uh, out there. Some some big names. And Hartman's name has kind of been thrown out there, of course, uh, the last few weeks or so. And Florida's, you know, Florida's came up pretty early uh, when the – inclination that he was going to enter the portal came about uh, i had heard it from a couple of people i know you guys at 1010 had heard it as well and uh, just kind of and that was official and it looks like notre dame will be the the route that he goes uh and hacker ask, asking around remember that medical issue that he had at the beginning of the season i think he missed like the first month of the season or so uh, i think that might have scared some teams off now he did go on to play and all the rest of these games and finish out the season there at Wake Forest. Uh, but I did hear that medical issue that he had maybe scared some teams off. And Florida could have been one of those teams, uh, maybe that, that, that scared it off there. But then yeah, that was one of the first names that we heard. And lo and behold, uh, as you you know, kind of know, a few weeks later, yeah, Graham Merch from Wisconsin uh, is going to be the guy Florida's going to bring in through the transfer portal. And, hey, look, he's game manager at best type of quarterback, I think. And I think you know, for most Gator fans, they were looking for a difference maker uh, at the quarterback position in Billy Napier's second year. And I'm not so sure, you know, Mertz is that difference maker. You're going to have to make up for a bad defense. You're going to have to make up for an offensive line that's been hit by the transfer portal. You're missing uh, now next year. You won't be able to have Osiris Torrance on the offensive line. So, you know, I think Florida probably, and Florida and Gator fans were probably looking at more of a, you know, an electric quarterback, guys that could make the other 10 players around them better and maybe have to carry a defense that's not, you know, been the best in three years now. So, you know, I don't think Graham Mertz is getting too many people excited because, you know, it, like I said, maybe game manager at best, and he throws a lot of interceptions, uh, you know, in, a, in an offense that you know, doesn't necessarily throw the ball a whole lot. So, you know, I, it, maybe change of scenery would do him some good. I think, you know, you can point to quarterbacks like Michael Penix, who transferred from Indiana to, to Washington and goes on to have this great year, and Jaden Daniels, you know, transfers from Arizona State, goes to LSU and has a good year. You know, change of scenery did those quarterbacks some good, and I think you, that's probably what you have to hope here uh, for Graham Merce, a different offense, uh, better, you know, uh, other coaches, new scenery may do him some good. David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast. David, is this a situation where – Mertz is a caretaker until Rashad is ready to go. I, I could see it playing out that way, Hacker. I, I really can. I, I don't, if you look at Florida in next season, I don't think many people's expecting to go contend for the SEC East you know, anytime soon, but especially next year. You know, is this just a, you know, we don't want to force a true freshman quarterback out there. Rashad is one of the best quarterbacks in the country, but you don't you don't want to have to rely on throwing a true freshman. If he goes out there in, some, in springtime and maybe early fall camp and maybe – 
goes out there right away and proves he can be the guy, then okay, you throw him out there maybe game one. Uh, but this, you know, the Mertz thing at least gives you some security that you don't have to throw a true freshman quarterback out there. And a guy who's played a lot of football, maybe may you the Big Ten, but he's got a lot of football there. Uh, but maybe you get to the halfway point of the season and the season's not going the way you want and you want to make sure you, know, you hit maybe even the 2024 season, uh, hit that on the ground running. Well, maybe – Halfway through the season, if 23 isn't going well, that's when you throw Rashad in and kind of let him get his feet wet to kind of finish the season out. But uh, I, I, if I had to predict, Hacker, I don't think Rashad will be you know, as the quarterback when Florida goes to Salt Lake and takes on Utah game one. But I won't be surprised somewhere midpoint in the season if he's the guy that, that takes over. David, we see what Florida State's doing in the portal again this year. Mike Norvell has just simply mastered the transfer portal. And Billy Napier is not getting the job done to that regard. And – that's a problem for Gator fans. Should they be upset about that? Uh, if you want to answer results, then absolutely, Hacker. And I think you know, we're, we're looking – there's two ways to look at it, I think, and it's how to build a program. Uh, and Norvell's high school recruiting, hey, look, it, is, it isn't the best. Uh, and I think he, he has to go portal hunting. And look, it, it worked out for Florida State uh, last cycle. And now this cycle, I think, Hacker, it's, it's good for them to do it again, though, because they're, they're a pretty close team. They're going to be a top-ten team when, when next year rolls in. All these rankings come in for next year. And they just made themselves better uh, with the transfer portal addition. So I think even for them to take the next step, the transfer portal was a must. Now, is that sustainable? Uh, I think that's going to be the biggest question. I, I still think the best route to sustain success will be you know, high school recruiting. And I think that's what Billy Napier is kind of maybe relying on here is building that, you know, tearing the foundation down and building it back through the high school ranks. Uh, but for FSU and the situation they're in, I think they have to. And for right now, it is their best path to, to, to maybe you know, making the playoff run because of how close they are now. And I do think they're, they're, they're putting together some pretty good pieces for a run next year. You know, David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast, I tend to agree. I think you're right with what Napier's doing. I'm going to ask you this because it's a question I've been asked. And look, Napier's not in any danger, nor should he be. But we know the world we live in with the orange and yep. blue, David. I mean, this is the reality of the situation. They go 6-6 six and six again next year, people mm -hmm. are going to be talking about Billy Napier. So, I mean, is he, is he going to last to win Rashada and DJ Lagway and – and those guys show up on campus and actually start contributing. Yeah, Hacker. You know, I, I, behind the scenes, I'm sure he's you know, it's, he's been told he'll give he'll be he, he's given plenty of time to to build this up. But you know, I do think at the same time. Look, last year, you know, he told us he they were going to be aggressive in the transfer portal, and they really weren't. Uh, and now I think you know they kind of have to be now, you know, especially some of these offensive line transfers. Uh, end up leaving. I know Ethan White and, and Michael Tarquin are going to test the waters, and look, they could end up back at Florida. You know, uh, they're going to go, go, I guess, see their NIL work that's out there. Those guys could return uh, there, but yeah, you, you're looking at um, you know year two, and if they are six and six, it is for a lot of the fan base it is going to put Billy Napier on the hot seat uh, going for, for for year three. But I do think you know behind the scenes he's probably saying he's going to be given time to, to build this thing. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Hacker, I think uh, looking at the high school recruiting side of it too uh and what, what miami was able to do this past cycle and you know the should you overpay for this player should you overpay for that player well you know, you're worth what somebody's willing to pay you and if you're not going to hit the transfer portal hard and if you're not going to quote unquote overpay for you know for for high school recruits you know are you just digging the hole uh deeper and well are they're not saying it won't work but that means it's not a fast fix 
uh, for, for what Billy Napier is going to do. So, you know, only 20 signees in, in, in this high school class. So there's some quality in this class, but where's the quantity? You know, you got teams like Ohio State who also have 20, but they're you know, six in the recruiting rankings. And you got Georgia and Alabama just stacking near 30 players that are higher quality uh, than what Florida's been able to do. So, you know, even closing the gap with the elites isn't necessarily there right now. But I think most Gator fans, it's not even really closing the gap versus Alabama and Georgia right now. It's, it's to go get a winning record. And uh, it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be a slow build uh, to that. And he may not get the, may not get a timeline from the fan base, but if he gets it from Scott Strickland, then, then we'll see You know, if, if it pays through. I just hope he's not building uh, a whole hacker early, too deep, you know, a, 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 a hole too deep early on where he can't dig himself out of it. Final moments here with David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast. David, what did you make of Chris McClellan's comments? The defensive lineman at Florida came out publicly and said the reason he believes guys might be entering the transfer portal, and Florida's had a ton of guys enter the portal, is that Napier might be a little more strict, a little more disciplined than what they had under Dan Mullen. Uh, Hacker, I think there's a lot of truth uh, in, in that. And, I mean, from, from the – uh, I guess I'll call I'll call them horror stories. But when Dan Mullen was the head coach, and you know what players got a, got away with, and you know staff members saying you know they can't believe you know the 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 recruiting strategy that was there uh, under the head coach. And look, it's, it's going to be different now. Uh, Billy Napier does have a, a certain standard. Look, pretty much the same thing happened at Louisiana too. Uh, came in right away. Uh, and you know, year one, that had you know, a subpar year, a lot of roster deflections, and then a big improvement in year two. I'm not expecting a big record improvement in year two, but I think it goes a long way in saying these are the type of characters and type of people Billy Napier wants in his program. And if you want to go out there and test it, you know, they're, they're not going to stop you. You know, I think for some of those offensive linemen that I mentioned earlier, I think he'd love to have those guys back on the roster. But, if, you know, if they want to go test the waters, he's not going to stop them. Uh, you know, if that's what you want to do, then you go right ahead. There may be a spot for you uh, when, when you get done, but there may not be either at the same time. But I do think, you know, if you go and look at it, the guys that are leaving, you know, the, the, most of them are not ending up at big-time programs. Uh, they're, 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 you know, they're going to something like Donovan McMillan, Pitt. Okay, he's going back home. So that's a, a good place for him. But some of these guys are, you know, Lorenzo Lingard, former five-star running back, was at Miami, was at Florida, and now he finds a home at Akron. You know, there's other players that they're not finding landing spots at other SEC schools too so i think i think it's twofold i think some of these players may be forced out hacker as far as not 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 a standard on the field but i do think there is some truth to you know some guys just not really fitting in thinking they could get away uh with a lot of things and mcclellan you know him saying it i think it holds a lot of weight because he was a dan Muller recruit uh and he committed to florida um or was leaning florida for a longest time and then Kind of stayed that way and stayed with Billy Napier, uh, and you know he 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 was really interested in the previous staff, but also w- with the current staff at Florida. And I think you know he, he saw it from both angles, and I think he saw it from both angles with the former players as well uh, that are now into the transfer portal. Some some of the, the Mullins former players, yeah, they, they're they're seeing it. You know, it, it is different. They don't they may not like the strict. Uh, angle that Billy Napier has gone with, and think they could find the you know cleaner pasture somewhere else, but. Hacker, I, I think most of it is uh, for Billy Napier. Uh, he's just looking for a certain character, and this it's it's going to go along. You know, kind of the theme here is a slow rebuild. He's going to get his guys in, and that, that the rebuild is going to be with in his image and his players. No, I agree, and I guess the thing that kind of caught me off guard. You mentioned Ethan White, Michael Tarquin, Trevez Johnson. I mean, that yeah. guy like him. He act those guys played. I mean, it's one thing when Lingard transfers out and Collier and all these guys that didn't play a whole lot. 
Travez Johnson was probably going to start next year. White and Tarquin were going to be in the mix to start next year. So that, I don't know if it's a red flag, but I guess those got my attention more than, than some of the others. As we wrap up with David Waters, uh, it, their number's going to be like 40 to 45 new guys on the roster yep. in 2023, David. I mean, we've seen some LSU had that last year, and it worked for them. Yep. So it's not that it can't work. But are you really going to bring 45 new guys in on an 85-man scholarship roster and expect to really compete next year? That seems like a tall ask. Seems like a tall ask, and, and, and Hacker even seems you know, taller because we just we haven't seen the aggression in the transfer portal yet. So, you know, some of these bowl games still got to get played, and I think, you know, if they're going to try and find some quality, they're going to, you know, the teams that are playing in bowl games kind of from here on out, you know, are teams that had okay to – pretty good season so if guys are in the portal they're coming from 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 good teams or you know just some some players that want to respect their current schools uh and and they'll wait to play their bowl game but i do think if you look at it there are some options now uh for for that that will be coming available available for florida and all these new faces as you said i mean if we go look at a florida roster next year you're not you're not going to know who a lot of these kids are whether they're freshmen that just come in or they were playing somewhere else last year and that's the new world of college football and as you said there's been some teams that have been able to rebuild their roster and transfer portal and have instant success um i'm not so sure if florida's going to be one of them next year but there certainly will be a, a, a whole many new faces out there and a very tough schedule for florida once again with all those new faces you can check out the gators breakdown podcast on twitter youtube wherever you get your podcast david waters does a terrific job with that and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010xl david have a very happy new year man safe travels when you ultimately do come back to Jacksonville, and we'll talk again soon. All right, same at you. Thanks, man. There you go, David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast. Always appreciate his perspective here on Hacker After Dark. Going to halftime at the Orange Bowl. Clemson just inexcusably with no timeouts inside the Tennessee 15 gets tackled inbounds, and the clock runs out. So Clemson just gave up minimum three points. They're down 14-3 to Tennessee heading into the halftime locker room down in South Florida at the Orange Bowl. Coming up in the 10 o'clock hour, the final hour here of 2022 for Hacker After Dark. We got high school ball, we got the NFL, and a little NBA. We will start by talking to the brand new head football coach at Fleming Island High School. The coaching carousel is in full rotation on the high school gridiron. Chad Parker, the new head coach, at Fleming Island, coming over from Bartram Trail. He's coming up. Also, Vic Carucci, longtime NFL writer, Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. You hear him on Sirius XM NFL Radio. We will talk Jaguars, Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence, and more with Vic Carucci. And finally, Brian Toporek at the bottom of the 10 o'clock hours. We're almost halfway home in the NBA. Most teams are getting near that 40-game mark already. What has the first half of the NBA regular season looked like, and what should we look forward to over the coming weeks and months? So a lot to do in the 10 o'clock hour. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. One hour down, one hour to go. Here on Hacker After Dark on a Friday, it's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The high school coaching carousel certainly spinning right now. And Fleming Island has a brand new head football coach. 
Let's talk with Chad Parker. After spending nine years on the Bartram Trail sidelines, he now heads to Clay County as the head coach at Fleming Island. Coach, congratulations. I appreciate it. Coach, uh, look, I mean, you and I uh, have many conversations on social media. I saw you when I went out to do Hackers High School football tour at Bartram. You certainly uh, know the lay of the land locally. You coached with Daryl Sutherland for many years. You were at Orange Park before that. And now you get your opportunity as the head coach. And boy, you get an opportunity at one of the biggest public schools in the area at Fleming Island. You must be very, very excited. Oh, yes, sir. I am super excited for the opportunity. That that was part of the reason I went to Bartram Trail was to learn under Coach Sutherland to help prepare me for the opportunity to one day be a head coach. So I feel like I'm ready after being under him for the last nine years. What is it like to coach with a guy like Daryl Sutherland? Clearly one of the best coaches, not only in the area, but you could argue the state over the last two decades. And the fact that you were with him every day for nine years, I would imagine some very good times had there. Oh, yeah, it, it was awesome. I mean, not only is he one of the greatest coaches in the area, I mean, he's one of the greatest men in the area. So just having him as a resource and being able to ask him anything that I want and pick his brain, I would go into school early and sit in his office. I would eat lunch with him and his wife every day. I would go in his room after school when it wasn't football season and talk. So it was great to be able to pick his brain and just have him as a resource throughout the process. Let's talk about Fleming Island. Now, you're in the unique position where you go from one school in the District of Doom to another school in the District of Doom. You obviously are very familiar with Fleming from your time at Bartram, and like I mentioned, Orange Park before that. What was it about Fleming Island, Coach, that led you that direction? I um, I was at Orange Park for a long time, uh, for eight years before I came over to Bartram, so I, I know the athletes and the caliber of athlete that is in Clay County, and especially at Fleming Island. Um, I knew that the quarterback was a sophomore. They got a sophomore DB. Um, They've got a lot of pieces, big old linemen and Braden Cunningham. So I I knew that the pieces were there to be successful. Uh, So, so the athletes were a big draw. And then the, uh, the hours, you know, just being able to be at home with my kids a little earlier than getting out of practice at eight o'clock over at Bartram trail. um, That that was a big draw to the area as well. Plus, I, I, went to, I, I have history back to, to high school with Travis Cunningham, the AD. Me and his brother wrestled and played football together at Orange Park. So I've known that family for a very long time. So it, it was a good opportunity to be with a guy that I knew would, would be very sports-minded and supportive of the program. So that was another big draw. Chad Parker, the brand-new head coach at Fleming Island. Coach, you go from one of the biggest public schools in the area in Bartram to another very large public school there in Fleming Island, your experience at Bartram, not just on the field, but the student population, just working at a school that size, how do you feel that'll help you at Fleming? Um, I, I do feel it's going to help me, just just being able to relate to it. I've always told Coach Sutherland, and when, when I was talking about entertaining the job over there with my athletic director, Travis, that I feel that the schools and the populations and the communities are very, very similar. So I think it'll be a pretty seamless transition over there. You know, you mentioned this earlier, but Clay County football compared to St. John's County football, you know, I look at the lay of the land in Clay County. You're now on the same timetable as Christopher Foy, who left Jackson to go to Oakleaf. You're leaving Bartram to go to Fleming. Marcus Wimberly's only been there for a year at Orange Park, so he's very new as well. Certainly a lot of newness in Clay County. You guys are basically all starting at the same time. Yes, sir. There, There's a there's just a ton of potential in Clay County, and um, 
it, it's a great place to be. It it has everything that you would need. So, you know, same thing with St. John's County. I, I compare the two. I think that they're both very, very similar. Final moments here with Chad Parker. He's the brand-new head coach at Fleming Island. Coach, I'm sure you've had a chance to tour the facilities. After I did Bartram on Hackers High School Tour, we went over to Fleming, and I got to tell you, I was unbelievably impressed with the stadium, the practice field, the locker room. They got almost kind of that that football hallway where the, the locker room is, the meeting rooms. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive. So you're inheriting uh, a job at Fleming, Coach, that has all you need – to be successful very quickly. Yeah, Coach Springs did a great job of setting that thing up over there, um, and I'm looking to build off what he created there and just keep adding to it. But the facilities there were awesome. That was another big draw to it, having a football-only locker room, a JV-only football locker room. They have a practice field, and I heard that there may be the opportunity to add another one. So I think that they, they want to win, and they have all the pieces in place to win, so I'm excited to be a part of it. Coach, what's the timeline for you now? You you got the job last week. Obviously, 2023 is right around the corner. We'll be getting to spring football before you blink your eyes. What's the next couple of weeks and months look like for you as far as staff, getting to know your players, that sort of thing? I've already been starting to build the staff. There were some really good coaches that were in the building that weren't coaching that, that I have known from my, my time in Clay County that I've already got back on board. Um a few Bartram coaches are planning to come over. So so building a staff is is definitely the priority right now, and, and it's fun to have the opportunity to, to do that from scratch. Um, and then I think they want me in the building as soon as we come back from Christmas break. So I'm looking forward to getting over there, meeting with the guys, and start establishing a culture very similar to what we had at Bartram over there. And uh, excited to get that rolling. You know, and, and that's one thing as we begin to wrap up here with you again, Chad Parker, the brand-new head coach at Fleming Island. When I talk to Daryl Sutherland, and and the one thing you mentioned, and you're right, not only a great coach, but a great man, and, and surrounding himself, the staff at Bartram Trail, some of the things they did with the players over there, having players speak to their teammates, you know, after practice, just unbelievably impressed. How much of that from Coach Sutherland will you take with you now to Fleming Island? I'm going to bring a bunch of that stuff with me um, because I feel – that that's pretty important. Coming from other programs, you think that winning is what's important, but Coach Sutherland showed us that creating better husbands, fathers, community leaders is really what's most important. And if you can establish that in your program, the winning will take care of itself, and Bartram Trail was proof of that. So no no need to, to try to reinvent something. I, I have the secret to success, I feel, and I have a great mentor in Daryl Sutherland, so I'm just looking to build off everything that he taught me and add that to Fleming Island's athletes. Coach, final question. You were an assistant in the area for many years, Orange Park, nine years at Bartram, and now you get your opportunity. That, that, that's a cool story, right? I mean, have you taken time to to think about that over the holidays that, wow, this is kind of – this is your barbecue now. You waited your time, and, and now it is your time. It is, and, I, and I'm very excited for it. Me and Coach Sullivan always talked about waiting for the right opportunity and I before I left him. So I, I felt like with him retiring this year and – Fleming Island popping open that it was a great time to, to venture out and see if I could do it on my own. And there's only a handful of schools that I told him I would leave for and uh, Fleming Island was at the top of the list. So when that one came open, as soon as we were done with our playoff run, I talked to coach Cunningham and we got the wheels in motion. So I'm excited for the opportunity for sure. 
Chad Parker, the brand-new head coach of Fleming Island. Coach, again, congratulations. I have no doubt we'll be talking to you many more times this offseason, and best of luck assembling that staff and getting ready for spring ball. Yes, sir. Thank you. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. The Jaguars and the Texans Sunday at 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. What a run it has been for the Jaguars to get themselves to within one win next Sunday against Tennessee of winning the AFC South Division Championship. Vic Carucci has covered the NFL for many years. You hear him on SiriusXM. NFL Radio. He's also a contributor to WGRZ TV in Buffalo, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Vic, it's been a while, man. How are you? I am well, and uh, of course, happy days to you and your family. Hey, Vic, thank you so much. Really appreciate that, and my goodness, what a turnaround here in Jacksonville. You and I talked at the beginning of the year. We didn't know what to expect from Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence in year number one. And it wasn't always pretty. It hasn't always been pretty. But, Vic, over the last six weeks, the Jaguars have made a great run to get themselves to within one win of a division title. What have you made of uh, what the Jaguars have done here as of late? Oh, man, it's so impressive uh, to really see how steadily this has come along. I mean, this team went from being kind of just left out of the, the picture early on and a same old Jags type of conversation, even with a new coach and, you know, where's the progress with Trevor Lawrence, uh, even though we had seen some moments of it, but nothing that was sustained. And and then suddenly it, it, it started to materialize. Now, you know, we can't ignore the fact that the AFC South has left a wide open door for the Jaguars and, and certainly for the for the Titans as well, but but I think especially for a Jaguar team that has literally clawed its way back, pun intended, clawed its way uh, to a position where now you can see progress turn into meaningful progress, turn into the kind of thing uh, that you can build upon if, if they can come away from come away from this thing with the division championship. Vic, Trevor Lawrence, as recently as Halloween, the game in London against Denver, admittedly was terrible, and he'll tell you as much. And he said that was a turning point. I mean, you've done this for a long time. Can, can you, you know, just talk about Trevor the first two months of the year compared to what we've seen the last two months? Because, Vic, he looks like a completely different football player. Well, he does. Um, and let's start with giving the credit to him, first of all, to – uh, not only recognize that he needed to improve, but then put the work in to do so. And, and you know, improve is a general term. What were the specific areas that he needed to address? You know, the, the reads and all that went with decision-making and accuracy and footwork and, you know, all the ball placement. I mean, all the, the details that ultimately he worked on, but then he also had Doug Peterson to guide him and and Doug is masterful at this. You know, we thought in the off season, and we thought when that hire was made uh, that the Jaguars were getting the right guy, especially in the aftermath of the whole urban Meyer disaster to have uh, the right guy come in to address their biggest asset, who is Trevor Lawrence. And 
the concerns were there. Uh, did they pick the right guy? Could they have missed on the top overall pick? And when that happens, you you know, the residual effect is, is a long time where you're not well as a team, where it takes a long time to get it back. But I, I think it's impressive uh, that he, uh, you know, saw that as, as maybe his low, low point and, and then, you know, invested the time, but also had the guidance. And it's one thing, of course, to get the guidance, get the coaching, but you got to accept it. And you also have to take accountability, which I think is also important. And, and did at some point something click in his head where he said, you know, to be a successful quarterback in this league, look around at all the great quarterbacking stories, the stories behind the, the highly accomplished quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Peyton Man, you know, just go through the list, Drew Brees, and, and recognize how they got there. And they didn't get there just because – they were anointed great quarterbacks. They put the work in. You see Vic Carucci on WGRZ television in Buffalo. You hear him on Sirius XM NFL radio, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Vic, you talk about Doug Peterson. It's about the X's and O's. It's about the play calling, absolutely. But as you mentioned, it was so much more than that. He had to clean the stench up from not only Urban Meyer, but, Vic, really the stench of almost 15 years of ineptitude here in Jacksonville, save the 2017 season, I'll give you an unbelievable stat. Prior to Doug Peterson, the Jaguars were 1-112 and 112 when they trailed by 17 points in a game. They won one of them out of 113 opportunities in their, in their history. This year they've won twice under Doug Peterson, trailing by 17 points or more in a game. Vic, he's changed the culture here in Jacksonville in a very short amount of time. Yeah, it's a belief system thing, right? You've got to uh, not only, you know, in, in the case of the players, believe in the guy leading you, but also his genuine belief that what he is selling is is, is real, is 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 uh, applicable, is uh, tangible, and. That isn't always the case. Sometimes coaches are, I mean, coaches always have to be really good salesmen, but, but sometimes you can see through the salesman and see that there isn't a lot of substance behind it. Uh, you know, and I, and then I think there are circumstances uh, and I'm not just saying that as a veiled thing about Urban Meyer. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that there are many cases like that that I've seen through the many years of, of being around the NFL, uh, being around football in general, in Doug's case, uh, Look, he, he steps into a place where expectations are start with how are we going to fail this time? You know, like and, and I and I mean to really get people to to buy into what you're doing, your fan base, you know, people like yourself, media who've been around this team and understand how long it's been since you saw anything worth watching. And Doug Peterson who, of course, has has the pelt, has that Super Bowl championship, understands what it took to get the Eagles to where they were, has been part of other organizations as a player and a coach to understand what it, you know, he's he's been around the best of the best. He's seen uh, you know, the Andy Reeds and the, and the others who built these programs. He comes with a base of knowledge uh, and, and a, a, a vision. And I think the, the key was to convince uh, everybody there that this can work now how he was able to do that after such a poor start and and that bottoming out that you saw in Europe uh, is even more astounding but 
my my sense was if they could give it time and patience, it'll work out. But you know what? Patience is a hard thing to to grasp uh, in in uh, professional sports or in sports in general. Couple of more for Vic Carucci, Sirius XM NFL Radio, and a contributor to WGRZ TV in the Buffalo area. Vic, the question this offseason, did they surround Trevor Lawrence with enough talent to be successful? And I think that question has been answered. Travis Etienne is a thousand yard rusher. And look, the Jaguars got raked over the coals a little bit for some of the money they spent in free agency on Christian Kirk or Zay Jones or Evan Ingram. Vic, all three of those guys are having career years, and maybe I'm too much of a, a stats geek, but Evan Ingram in particular, the guy's a top five tight end all of a sudden, statistically speaking. It's it's amazing the turnaround Ingram has had here in Jacksonville. Yeah, and you know, if you're looking for some of the reasons why it has clicked for Trevor Lawrence, you could start right there. Having that kind of target, having the reliability uh, of a tight end, and you know the efficiency that that position can bring because it's often not the the deeper routes that are or explosive plays those are plays that'll keep chains moving and and have allow your offense to develop and maintain a rhythm now you also mentioned Zay Jones and I'm familiar with him from you know my time of being around the Buffalo Bills uh, when he came into the league you know you saw the promise you saw the athlete but it just wasn't connecting now some of that if not most of that could have been because he just didn't you know they didn't have the right offense in place and certainly the right quarterback in place for him to thrive it wasn't you know Josh Allen circa 2022 or even 2019 but uh, Zay uh, through his time post Buffalo uh, I think in his own way found some maturing and and when you have him doing the kinds of things he's done. I think I've, I've watched the effort he's made on plays uh, with the Jaguars, and, and I've been highly impressed. That's a different guy than I saw at the beginning of his career. Vic, the Jaguars are in a unique position as we begin to wrap up with you. They play the Texans on Sunday, a game they'd like to win. I mean, Houston's won nine in a row against Jacksonville, which is an unbelievable stat when you really sit down and think about it. Yet all eyes are pointing towards a week from Sunday where the AFC South Championship will be decided here in Jacksonville between the Jaguars and the Titans. Uh, Doug Peterson has already come out this week and said it's full steam ahead. The guys are going to play, no no rest. He wants to keep this momentum going. What's your thought on the, I guess, the quandary the Jaguars are in with a division game on the road, yet obviously Week 18 is far more important? Yeah, look, I, I also understand uh, the position that people have that, you know, don't don't do anything that could jeopardize your chances of, of winning it uh, in terms of risking injury and so forth between now and the game that, quote, really counts. However, uh, treating this game like a buy could be the mistake that Doug Peterson doesn't want to make, and that is get your team in a headspace where they're not uh, focused where the momentum that that's built up to the point where they're they're in this position to win it all in terms of the division a week from this weekend uh, could be disrupted. So they want to, like he says, full steam ahead. Now, would it shock me if at various points in the game he's liberal with substitution? And you know, depending on how the flow of the game is going, uh, does he do some things that he might not have not might not otherwise do 
uh, if this game meant as much as the following game. That's what you got to keep an eye on. But as far as preparation, as, as far as attitude, I don't think he wants his team to think in any way, hey, here's, here's a nice little early bye week for you because you do have to, as far as they've come as a team this year, you want that momentum rolling all the way into uh, not only winning a division and then that's just the beginning. Then there's work to do after that to, to make that count for something. Hey, Vic, final question. And look, I've been warning people here in Jacksonville this week, and I'll continue warning them next week. Tennessee, I know they're down right now. I get it. It does not look good. They got injuries all over the place. Maybe it's that logo. And we've had, you know, horror stories of what the Titans have done to the Jaguar franchise going back 25 plus years. But I'm telling people, Vic, that game a week from Sunday is not going to be easy. Tennessee is the AFC South champion until they're not. And you know uh, the Jaguars are going to get their absolute best shot in that winner-go-home scenario. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah, you're, you're, you're advising the right way on that, uh, Ryan, because uh, they are uh, a well-coached, well-put-together club. They're struggling. Yep, they've had their issues, but that still is Mike Vrabel, and I consider him as good as it gets coaching-wise and especially in clutch situations. He will have, you know, whatever that team looks like at that point, health-wise, you know, quarterback, uh, defense, all, all the, uh, you know, all the critical areas where they've also had some injury issues. Um, he's going to have them ready. <laughs> he's gonna, he's going to have them as ready as possible to make the point. And, you know, by no means does he want their season to end with, oh, yeah, we're the team that, you know, punched uh, Jacksonville's ticket to win the division. And it would be uh, quite a collapse. Look, Tennessee's lost five in a row. The Jaguars have won four out of five. But Tennessee can erase all of that if they were to come to Jacksonville and win a week from Sunday. Vic Carucci, Sirius XM NFL Radio. You also see MWGRZ Television in Buffalo. Vic, I know you're busy. Thank you, as always, my friend. Have a happy new year. And if the Jaguars do make a playoff run, we'll be dialing your phone next month. Thank you, my friend. All right, my pleasure. Always happy to join you. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Christmas has come and gone. The new year is on the horizon, and a lot of people now will begin shifting their focus to the NBA. Hard to believe some teams are getting very close to the halfway point of the regular season as uh, the NBA season is moving right along with that. Let me welcome in my friend Brian Toporek. You can read him at Bleacher Report and on Forbes, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Brian, how we doing? Doing well. How are you? Happy holidays. Hey, Brian, same to you, man. Always appreciate it. And look, ratings are out from the Christmas Day games. I imagine the NBA, very happy, even with NFL competition. The ratings were up across the board. As uh, the NBA, Brian, now past Christmas, a good year seemingly all the way around. Viewership seems to be up. The league must be very happy right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's never been deeper in terms of talent, and there are so few teams that aren't competitive on a night-to-night basis. Really, I can only think of a handful that, you know, right now, almost halfway through the season, I'm pretty confident will end up in the lottery uh, and even with that said, like, you know, the Houston Rockets are one of those teams. I, I would be surprised if they make the playoffs this year, but they just, you know, beat down the Chicago Bulls the other night. So 
it's it's nice, I'm sure. The NBA is getting the parity that is long hoped for this season. Brian, you mentioned the Chicago Bulls. Obviously, Billy Donovan, um, major, major figure in these parts with what he did at the University of Florida. Boy, not the year the Bulls were hoping for. Look, as an Orlando Magic fan, I'm loving it. We own their first round <laughs> pick, so I'm certainly right. not complaining about it. Uh, but what's gone wrong for Billy Donovan in Chicago this year? Yeah, I think the absence of Lonzo Ball, he's really the connective tissue that made this team make sense last year. And it's hard to believe that a team with Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, you know, they should have enough talent to survive that. But Levine was just so important to what they do on both ends of the floor. Uh, Patrick Williams, their forward, uh, their young number four overall pick from a couple of years ago, hasn't really taken the step forward that I think a lot of Bulls fans were hoping for coming into this season. Um, and they just are, I mean, they're, they're so undisciplined defensively. And, and again, this is where, you know, with Lonzo and Alex Caruso, they have at least the perimeter personnel to play solid defense. But, you know, Vooch isn't a, a great defender. Levine's not a great defender. He's also had some knee troubles dating back to the offseason that may be affecting him. So it, it's just, uh, it's a mess there. And it leads you to wonder, you know, they came in hoping to make the playoffs. Are they going to go leading up to this trade deadline in early February? Where do they go with this team? Because Vooch is going to be a free agent after this year. And if they don't think they're going to be able to retain him, you know, I think you have to start thinking about being a seller rather than a buyer. I love Nikola Vucevic for, from his time in Orlando. I mean, I, I love yeah. the guy. Nine great years in Orlando. Orlando won that trade, Brian. I mean, getting yeah. Wendell Carter, Franz Wagner, who I think is going to be an all-star sooner rather than later, and they own the Bulls pick this year as long as it's not in the top four. I mean, kudos to Orlando because when that trade happened, people down here were scratching their heads like, what are you doing? They absolutely won that trade. By a, a mile, by 10 miles. I mean, you would probably rather have any one of those three assets than Vooch at this point. You'd rather have Wendell Carter Jr. than him because he's young. He's under contract for a while. You'd much rather have Franz Wagner than him. And then this this pick all of a sudden looks like, you know, I know it's top four protected, so there's a lot of chatter in Chicago. Like, should we just really blow this thing up and, you know, try to keep that pick. But even if they do, even if they finish with the worst record in the league, they still have basically a 50-50 shot to chance to send it to Orlando this year. That's just how the lottery odds work. So there's there are no easy answers for the Bulls this season. Brian DePork, Forbes, and Bleacher Report, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brian, let's talk about Orlando. It wasn't long ago they were 5-20. and 20. They had seven or eight guys missing every night. And I'll be honest with you. You know, the, the idea of tanking uh, was was being mentioned. I certainly – I watch every game. I, I was turning into Randy Quaid from Major League Two. Uh, I was like, back up the truck, back it up. It was so frustrating watching these guys because they yeah. had so many guys missing time. All of a sudden, they're getting a little healthier, and they – wasn't long ago they won eight out of nine, you, you know? I mean, what 5-20 and 20 has turned into 13-21 and 21 here pretty quick – What's been your thought on Orlando? Yeah, I'm really impressed with how they've turned their season around. Because like you, you know, at 5-20, and 20, you just start thinking like, well, are they going to start stretching out some of these injuries? You know, take your time 
coming back from whatever you're dealing with. Like we're you're we're, we're in no rush to see you back this year. Um, but Markel Fultz has looked pretty good since he's returned. I mean, Paolo is I, the clear front runner for rookie of the year at this point. Uh, Wagner's playing well. Carter's playing well. Bull Bull continues to be such a pleasant surprise for this team. Um, I'm intrigued to see what they do with Terrence Ross at the trade deadline. I, you know, I feel like he's popped up uh, in rumors over the years, and it seems like this would be the the year to move him if you were going to. Same goes for Mo Bamba, who they just re-signed this past season. Like he's, you know, not a huge factor in the rotation right now. So I think they have some room to even improve further because if they, you know, ship some of these guys out and either get a draft pick for them, get another young prospect for them, or even get like a veteran locker room leader type. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to rule out a, a run at the play-in tournament because the teams ahead of them, especially Chicago and Washington, there are some real questions about what they're going to do. Brian, Paulo Bancaro is a stud. I understand yeah. a lot of people might not have seen him yet. I think more people, at least in these parts, now that college football is winding down, the Jaguars are obviously at the forefront of everybody's mind. But ultimately, when the Jaguar season hopefully ends, uh, you know, in a month plus from now, uh, we'll start turning their attention to Orlando. When they start watching Paulo Bancaro, that dude is a is a stud. I mean, he is going to be one of the next superstars in this league. Correct. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he doesn't really have a, an obvious weakness in the fact that he's putting up the numbers that he is and taking charge of the team like he has as a rookie is just it, it continues to be so impressive. I mean, his ability to score from all over the court. I know he's not a great three point shooter right now, but at least it's in his bag. He's drawing a ridiculous number of free throws for a rookie. He's so aggressive off the dribble. His his ability to create for himself is really impressive, but he's also averaging four assists per game, so he can create for his teammates too. Uh, I think it was a home run pick for Orlando, and he's only going to get better. And I'll give Orlando credit again. Look, you can rip their management for a lot of moves in the last few years, but there was all the talk about Jabari Smith, all the talk about Chet Holmgren. You know, Paulo Bancaro was kind of the third guy in that three-horse race, and I remember on draft night, and I'm guilty of it as anybody, everybody was surprised. When Orlando mm-hmm. went Bancaro, again, like you said, that was a home run pick. Yeah, I, I think clearly they Orlando just needed someone to fill this role for them. And with all due respect to Jabari Smith, who I also think is going to be a nice pro, that's just not really his game. He's much more of a complimentary piece than you know the offensive focal point. And you know it might work out frankly, for both teams, because Houston has Jalen Green. They have someone in that role, so maybe they didn't necessarily need uh, a Bancaro. They, like, maybe they needed someone to fill the Jabari Smith role instead. So it, it despite the pre-draft smoke, uh, it might have actually worked out well that the order fell the way it did. A couple of more for Brian Tapork of Forbes and Bleacher Report, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Brian, big picture stories in the NBA. Let's go rapid fire, beginning with the Lakers at the time you and I are talking, they are 13th in the Western Conference right now with seven, eight games below 500. Is this thing salvageable, or are they going to blow it up at the trade deadline? I don't think they're going to blow it up if only because their fan base will actually riot. 
Uh, I mean, Anthony Davis, the injury to him is probably, you know, he'll come back, but it it's season ending for the Lakers. I think, I think they're going to be in such a big hole by the time that he comes back that they're not going to make this move, whether it's Russell Westbrook and both draft picks for some superstar trade package, or even like, I, I don't see the point in, you know, the, there's rumors about them trading Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn in a first round pick for a, you know, like a Bojan Bogdanovich type. I don't necessarily see the point in trading any picks at this. Like if you're going to be, you know, 10, 15 games under 500 by the time AD comes back, maybe if he surprises and comes back sooner than expected, but it sounds like he's going to be out for at least another couple weeks. Um, and it's just, you know, it's such a bummer to waste one of LeBron James, probably his final few seasons in the NBA to have him ride it out on a team that might not even make the play in tournament again is a huge bummer. But this is the peril of building around three guys on huge contracts. If one of them goes down, you know, you're, you're very, very top heavy. Is Golden State, Brian, going to be able to survive till Steph Curry comes back? That win over Memphis on Christmas Day was very impressive from them. So I think so. I think the Warriors at least have more chips to fire than the Lakers do. The Lakers have the Russ and two picks, and that's really you know, their only way to bring in someone of note. The Warriors have these kids that they have been reluctant to dangle, you know, the James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody. But if that stance changes between now and the trade deadline, you know, who's to say that they couldn't get a veteran from a team that's selling off players and trying to pivot more into a rebuild. And, you know, Steph will be back at some point. It sounds like he's out for at least another two weeks. But if they can stay around 500, I don't see why they couldn't go on a late season run. I, you know, they might be in the play-in tournament. A top six seed might be tough for them. But I also wouldn't want to pick against them in the play-in tournament if they're fully healthy. You know, as we wrap up with you, Brian, and again, Brian Tapork, Bleacher Report, and Forbes talking NBA, I'm looking at the standings right here. It's really amazing. In the Western Conference right now, all 10 teams that would be in the playoffs or the play-in tournament are separated by six games. In yeah. the East, the top six teams are separated by six games. The top five teams are separated by only three games. The parity in this league is incredible, and the NBA has gotten uh, knocked for that in years past. Why do you feel, Brian, and look, it's a big sample size, man. Like I said, we're almost yeah. 40 games into this thing. Why is it so even? Why is there so much parity this year? Yeah, I think it's a combination of factors, and actually Howard Beck of Sports Illustrated wrote a great article about this uh, a couple weeks ago at this point, but he there was a stat in there that it was like 17 of 30 teams were within three games of 500, either above or below at the quarter season mark. And that was a record like NBA history. No, it's never been this evenly spread out throughout the league. You know, I think injuries are certainly a part of it. Um, you know, some teams have been missing very key players for a long time, which makes them uh, more beatable on a night to night basis. Um, but again, I think it's just a testament to the amount of talent that has come into this league in recent years where, you know, you really can't even take a night off against a Houston or a San Antonio or, you know, the, you know, the Pistons are not a good example because they just blew a 12 point lead last night with like three minutes left. But even they, 
you know, have talent. They can, they can put a scare into you if you're not paying attention. And, you know, had they held that lead, they would have just knocked off the Clippers last night. So I think that's the big thing. It's just like, there, there aren't any teams, you know, we thought like Utah coming into the year was going to be one of the worst teams in the league after trading away Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert this offseason. But the guys they got back, Laurie Markin in, in particular, had been sensational. Uh, the same goes for the Pacers. You know, they were supposed to be one of the worst teams in the league. Right now they're sitting at 500 almost halfway through the season. Tyrese Halliburton looks like not even a future all-star. He's going to be an all-star this year, or he should be. Uh, so I think it's just like every – I can't think of a single team – that doesn't have at least one guy who could be considered a foundational piece at this point. It's fun. I'm a big fan of the NBA, and it's great when there's so much competitiveness, and including the Magic, like we said, 5-20. and 20, They've won 8 out of 9. They're only 2.5 games out of the play-in yeah. as it stands right now. Brian Tapork of Forbes and Bleacher Report. Brian, always appreciate the time, man. Know you're busy this time of year. Have a very happy new year, and we'll talk again in 2023. Yes, sir. It sounds good. Best best wishes to all and all your listeners as well. And thank you to my friend Brian Tapork of Forbes and Bleacher Report for talking a little NBA with us late night on a Friday. Yeah, hard to believe we've been so caught up in college ball, so caught up in obviously the NFL and the playoff push here in Jacksonville that most NBA teams are getting near the halfway point of the season. Hard to believe as we are almost halfway home with the NBA regular season. Well, that'll just about put a wrap on what's been a very busy Friday night edition, the final Hacker After Dark of 2022. Thank you guys, as always, for hanging out with us. We got a lot of people to thank for joining us tonight. Again, Brian Tapork of Forbes and Bleacher Report. Thank you to David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast as we talked a little Florida the lack of really anything going on in the transfer portal. It's interesting. Florida needs to pick up their game in the portal. There is absolutely no doubt about that. Thank you to Chad Parker, the brand new head football coach at Fleming Island High School for joining us tonight. You also heard from Seth Payne, former Jaguar and former Texan. You can catch him on Sports Radio 610 in Houston as the Jaguars and the Texans on Sunday, 1 o'clock. You'll hear it right here on 1010XL. I like the Jaguars to win. Look, the Jaguars are one of the hottest teams in the league. I think the Jaguars have a lot of momentum. I think they keep that momentum going in the next week's AFC South championship game. And I like Jacksonville to end the nine-game losing streak against the Houston Texans. And they will get their first victory over Houston since opening day back in 2017. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. Now, a couple of things. Remember, two hours after the Jaguars and the Texans go final on Sunday, New Year's Day, head coach Dave Campo, Leon Searcy, and myself, we will have the fifth quarter live from Perfect Rack Billiards uh, in Murray Hill on Edgewood Avenue. We hope you come out and join us as we're hopefully talking about a Jaguar victory on Sunday afternoon. Have an absolutely terrific New Year's. Be safe, and we will talk to you in 2023. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Friday evening, 
and we'll talk to you on January 1st on the fifth quarter, live from Perfect Rack Billiards. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.